Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 45 of the Hashtag Mom Life Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Blaze, and this is the show all about thriving in the mom stage in life. We're speaking with real mamas, hearing their stories, and learning from their faith journeys. We're all just trying to do our best to raise our kids, right? And sometimes that's messy. My hope is that this podcast will encourage you ladies as you go through your daily routine, as you shuttle your kids between activities or run your errands or get your sweat on and a good workout. On this episode, I'm going to be talking with two other mamas, Jenny O and Karen Lee, about how we can discipline our kids in a way that connects with them. I have often felt directionless and like, let's try this and how about that? I felt so frustrated. I've been trying different strategies and reading different books and I have just felt exhausted. But this spring... At our hashtag mom life group, we read the book Discipline That Connects with Your Child's Heart. And I finally feel like I have a vision for parenting that I can hold on to and practical steps to make that vision happen. So today, we are going to try to explain the principles in this book and talk about how we are trying to implement them in our families. Today, I have with me two everyday awesome mamas from our community, Karen Lee and Jenny O. At our hashtag mom life group this spring, We've been reading Jim and Lynn Jackson's book, Discipline That Connects With Your Child's Heart. And I have to say, it has totally felt like a lifeline to me. I recognize some clear things in my parenting style that need to change, but also have felt like I have some wind in my sails now, like I have some clear direction in how I want to parent. Their big idea is that discipline is an opportunity to connect with our kids, an opportunity to express grace and encourage our kids towards God's best for them. They say that our goal should not actually be to create obedient kids, which I feel like so much of our modern parenting is based on, like, you need to do this because I'm your mom. The goal is not just to end bad behavior, which I'm totally guilty of. I just rush in and try to stop whatever bad thing is going on. They say the goal should be heart change for our kids. Even though that's a more nebulous goal, I feel like I can totally get behind that. So we have spent five weeks focusing on this book at Hashtag Mom Life. And, and now we're all trying to implement some of their strategies in our families. Since I'm still trying to figure it out, I wanted to spend a podcast interviewing two of the moms that help lead our discussion at Mom Life. These moms are not perfect moms. They don't have it totally figured out. First, I'm going to have us give an overview of the book. And then I want to ask these two mamas, what were their takeaways? And how are they trying to implement them in their families? What successes and failures have they had? And how are they growing? So let's dive in. To start, hi ladies, I would love to have you two introduce yourselves. Jenny, why don't you start? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Jenny O. Um, Denton. Uh, and I have two children, Aria and Arrow. They are four, or just kidding, he just turned five and six. And um, I am a full-time working mama. I work as an educational consultant and I also lead praise at this church, lovely um, contemporary service at 10 a.m. And you always wear great outfits. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Karen, tell us about uh, yourself a little. Hi, my name is Karen Lee, and I have three girls. They are three, six, and nine. And I have been staying home with them full time since my oldest was about a year old. Awesome. Let's talk about the book. The Jacksons have four principles that they encourage us to adopt as we discipline our kids. Karen, can you tell us about the first principle and what that means to you? The first principle in this book is that you want to convey to your kids that you are safe with me. And what that means to me is that 
you need to get your own stuff figured out before you approach your kids. And if your kids are provoking an emotional response for you, that's your responsibility to fix in yourself rather than putting it on your kids to be fixed so that they don't provoke that response in you. So take care of yourself first. That's what you are safe with me means. And then Jenny, what are ways that we don't act safe with our kids? So I think it's you know, what Karen brought up was so important that we need to take a step back and realize where's this stemming from when we, when they do provoke that emotion in us, what is it coming from? Is it, are we angry? How dare you talk to me like that? What does it come from? And it t- um, helps us to sort of step back, relax, and then and not you know react. Be basically the not acting safe is when we rush in um, to a situation with our booming voices and our taller stature. I think that scares the kids, and so it provokes. Also, I don't think it's as productive. It mo- brings a reaction out of them, and so it's this warring reactions between the um, parent and child. And so I think that's the area in which um, maybe, you know, when we come in with those big actions, they're probably taken aback. They they don't realize, oh, maybe what I did was wrong, but rather maybe I'm the bad kid is the reaction that they're getting. So that's probably not feeling safe. Um, And then the, you know, oh, wait till we get home. You will be grounded from X, Y, and Z. I think those punishments are are so distant from when it actually happens that that, that also feels unsafe. Is what the you know uh, Jim and Lynn mentioned, and it right, like, was a like big random punishments, like right? Throwing out like I know I'm totally guilty of that. Like, hey, you did this, no screen time, but that's not actually a punishment that's connected right. to whatever no correlation that they're yeah. actually doing. Absolutely. Totally. And I remember how they said that kids learn less from what we say than how we act, and I thought that was huge less from what we say than actually how we act right because don't you think we we want to convey like oh you are safe with me or we don't say negative things but it's when we walk in with our shoulders or chest puffed up and angry then that what we are saying even if we're trying to say it calmly but their action is very it's there's a disconnect so when they see that they'll probably remember oh my gosh that got that kind of reaction out of my mom Totally. You know? And I'm so guilty of that. I have totally I rushed in to like solve my situ- children's situations. So Karen, why, why doesn't that work when we kind of rush in with these sort of unsafe personalities? So as the Jacksons point out, what this does is it turns the focus from the child's misbehavior to our response. So everybody's now forgotten about the original problem. And now the issue is the anger that the parent has brought into the situation with their uh, their response. If mm-hmm. we're able to stay calm, stay safe, then we're keeping the focus on the child's misbehavior. I think that's huge. And I was so convicted by that personally because I know like when I rush in and suddenly I have this big response, I realize it totally makes sense to me. Like, of course, now they're in like fight or flight with mama versus focusing on what they actually did wrong. Totally. And that as I've been really trying to practice this to be calm and to be safe, I realize then it keeps the focus on whatever they actually are doing wrong. Right. And I, that we don't actually have to fix it that minute. That's something I'm realizing too. Okay. So now we all come in with our own baggage and this can be really hard. Like when we feel the blood boiling within us, um, what are some practical recommendations for just being a calmer parent? Jenny, can you give us a couple that they say? Yeah. Uh, so 
Jim and Lynn mentioned to take a step back and to breathe, pray, and prepare our hearts and minds for the challenges of for the challenges ahead. That this activates safety. Now, as a yoga teacher, I should know how to step back and breathe. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot to mention that I also teach yoga on the side. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the many I, things you do, <laughs> I just do too much. I I don't know. Anyway. Um, but I forget to implement that sometimes because my reactions are so great. I am, a, uh, I think, quite reactionary. It's just my personality. And I have a lot of passion for things. And so that breathing part, it really just take a step back and breathe. And we, we talked about counting, you know, one through ten even. And between that time, you've already calmed down. And I definitely know that I need to start implementing that. The whole pray, pray, prepare our hearts and minds for the challenges ahead. I'm still really, really working on that because I find that in that moment, um, I may, I've grown to take a step back, breathe, and then count maybe, but I haven't done the, okay, I got to go exit the room, pray about this and then come back. I haven't really done that yet. I'm working towards that though. And they give us a mantra that we can try and use as we are beginning to rush in. Karen, can you tell us what that mantra was that they gave us? The mantra that they talk about is go slow, low, and listen. So the first step of that, going slow, is to remind yourself that for the most part, no one's immediately immediate physical safety is going to be at risk. Mm-hmm. So instead of feeling like I need to rush in and fix this right away, just take a minute, create a little bit of, of space there, um, and take stock of yourself. What physical responses am I having? Just kind of be aware of what your Im- impulse is in that situation. Right. Take a step back, pray, breathe, just calm your own self down before you get there. Then when you approach, you stay low. So you keep your energy low Sometimes even get physically low, get down to your child's level and address them at their own, at their own level, sit beside them, put them on the counter. If you're breathing slowly, then it might, um, remind them to do the same thing. And then finally listen. So before you rush in and try to solve and advise and fix, just listen, give the child space to talk and ask questions. What's happening? What can we do to solve this? And then at this point, you're making sure to listen to your child, really giving them space to respond, validating their feelings. Um, think about walking in their chi- in their shoes at that moment, even if it seems to you like, this is ridiculous. Come on, get over it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go there. Just think about what that child is feeling, how big a deal it is to them. And then this Bible verse, which is really impactful from Matthew 25, 40, Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And just use the same approach in every disciplinary situation. Slow, low, and listen. I've really appreciated that because I feel like it's three little words I can put in my head, you yeah. know, and like actually try and remember, okay, slow, low, listen, I can do that. Um, Jenny, have you tried this at home, this just approaching your children with safety? And how has that gone for you? So what I really like about... Uh, Jim and Lynn's advice is sometimes they say, hey, we can mess up still, right? And then they have this do-over. You know, they say, you didn't walk into the room with calmness and with a breath, 
okay, just rewind, start over, come back into the room, and or even tell them, you know, um, verbally, okay, mom's going to do that over. You rewind and go back, and then you can do. So that gives me a lot of grace because there are still sometimes I feel like, you know, they're fighting at home. I can't give you one specific example because it happens all the time. <laughs> they're only one year apart, so they fight a lot. Um, and they want a lot of attention at this time. And so the going, um, the slow part is where I'm, I need the most work again, this, this, it's like the Italian Korean, you know, cultural blood that we have is just boiling over. So then, um, although I'm not Italian, but I'm just trying to equate that to it. I think people understand that more. Um, but anyway, but Korean. But that I'm Korean, yes. <laughs> For those of you who've never seen me before, <laughs> yes. But that um, the go slow part is the biggest learning thing for me. But the low part I've always done, and it really does work. They don't look up at you with this terrifying already the, the reaction that you're bringing in, but they're all, you're also taller than they are. And then the listening part when they ask you to ask questions – to really, because both of my kids are introverts, they don't really express themselves. So I sort of have to ask them questions to kind of get down to what's going on. That's been helping me. So that's awesome. And how about you, Karen? Have you had any times where you have just tried this and how's it worked? So one specific situation that I've been trying to rework is Jenny mentioned the sibling rivalry issue, and mm. of course, we have that a lot in our house as well. And I think three girls, yeah. yeah, three girls. There's lots of high emotions in our house. <laughs> well, four, including me. Um, so, <laughs> what I have done lately is a lot of times I hear an argument escalating, and in another part of the house because I don't necessarily need to always be with them; they're big enough now. So I hear an argument escalating, and then I hear someone crying. And my tendency up until fairly recently was to rush in, blame the one who's not crying. What did you do? Why did you hurt her? You need to apologize. What I've started doing instead is I realize I don't know what's gone on. I don't know what's happened. Maybe, you know, the one who's hurting is hurting because their feelings are hurt and it's irrational. Who knows? So instead of rushing in with blame, I rush in with sympathy. So the one who's hurting, I go there, I give them a, her a hug, I ask, you know, ask her, usually I just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, are you okay? And then once that one who's hurting is validated, it seems like the emotions are calm down, I'm able to say, what happened? How did you get hurt? Or I, I'll ask the other one in a non-blaming tone, do you know what happened to Quinn? Or do you know, you know, so I, and it just, as amazing what a difference it makes instead of me rushing in and ending up being kind of another factor in creating the drama, mm-hmm. I'm able to rush in and kind of calm things down by coming in with an attitude of sympathy instead of an attitude of blame. And so that's the slow, low, and listen. And it calms us all down and it makes a world of difference. Hmm. I have had very similar feelings. I I was really struck by how they said that we typically respond with anger when our kids misbehave, but we need to ask ourselves what other emotion is under that. And I know that anger is my first and natural response. And so they have us asking, you know, are there other emotions I'm feeling like shame or hurt or inadequacy or fear or sadness, disappointment, confusion? I also thought the remark that we can learn to be okay when our kids aren't okay 
was super profound to me. Like mm. I realized that I haven't usually felt that way that, okay, if my kids aren't okay, like their emotions reflect on my parenting. So if they aren't happy, I must be failing somewhere. So I'm really learning to be calm and be okay, even when they're not okay. Right. That's been something I've been really working on. I mean, I think I, that also stems to when I feel some of the anxiety uh, that my daughter feels and I just don't know how to help that. And she goes to school with that. And sometimes I can't be there all the time and be that emotional protector, but you have to let that go. And I'm learning that a lot through this, um, through this book. Totally. All right. Let's um, talk about the second principle. So Jenny, can you share that? What's the third, what's Jim and Lynn Jackson's second principle? And what does that mean for discipline? That before we implement any sort of discipline or consequences, it's that they need to know this first, you, yes, you are safe. We went over that. But second principle that you are loved no matter what. The funny exercise that they asked you to do in the book was that to ask your children, um, do you feel loved when I discipline you? And I actually read, that was the part that I led in, in discussion. And um, so I did that before pre-homework before I showed up. And I was so shocked when they told me, um, maybe not. That's exactly how they say they, they, I think they feared what I, you know, what their answer was going to provoke in me, but they looked at me and they're like, ah, no, when you, when we do something wrong, I don't think you, not really. And that was so shocking to me. That was a, a life-changing moment <laughs> that not, I do need to mention to them that I love you um, before we talk about that misbehavior. And that misbehavior, they say, is the golden opportunity to show more unconditional love. It's like unconditional, our love currency, I think they talk about. We want to deposit that currency more during the, misbehave, um, during the misbehavior. And the, the goal with that is to connect with our kids and show them love even um, when we are disciplining them, even, even when we are sort of righting uh, a particular wrong that they have I don't know why that was such a shock to me, but it was such a shock to me too. Like, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to express love to you even even when I'm disciplining you. And I actually asked both of my kids that same question too, and both of them gave me the, huh, maybe not right. <laughs> response. And I have, I have been very verbal in saying that now with them, like when I am disciplining them, just to say like, you know, like with Stella, she can have such big emotions. Sometimes I'm just saying to her lately, like, even when you're mad at me, I still love you. Even when you're so angry, I still love you. You know, right. even when you don't want me to be with you because you're so mad right now, I still love you. Right. And that I feel like even that has been an interesting thing for them to begin to have their brains like, you know, like well, before, focus on. before you punish them or right. not punish, but yes, punishment, you know, before the discipline comes, because I think we all do do that where we come back after the punishment and still tell, I think most of us do that where we, we do tell them after the fact that yeah. we love them, but it's such, sends such a mixed message. I think though. So just in injecting the love while you're disciplining mm -hmm. is so important because we all totally. probably do it after. And though they do say we can do it after too, you know, yeah. like we're all going to mess up. There's grace for all of us. There have been multiple times in the last couple of weeks where I've gone back to my kids and said, I am so sorry. I was not, you know, I was not safe with you mm. and I'm sorry. And I love you. And I want you to always know that you're loved. Um, Karen, what are some of the ways they encourage us to express love while we are disciplining? So they give, give some good concrete examples and the, 
underlying thing here, as you'll realize when you read these, is first you have to be calm and safe. Mm-hmm. So the first you have to get that under your belt first. And because in order to do these things <laughs> in the midst of your child's misbehavior can be a challenge if your blood is boiling. So you can go to them. You can use the words, say, I love you. Go approach them in that way. Say it in a genuine way so they know it's sincere. If the child is open to it, maybe give them a gentle touch. It also really helps to demonstrate empathy. No matter whether you understand the reason that they're upset or not, just validate them and let them know, I sometimes feel like this too, or I can tell this is really frustrating for you. Mm -hmm. And then most important, really listen to them. Go back, you know, to our previous point where you're getting down on their level, you're getting close to them, you're looking at them, repeat back what they hear to say to you, and through it all, show love on your face. (laughs) Just your whole mannerisms, your whole approach, you can, you can let them know that they're loved even while you're talking to them about an, an issue of misbehavior. Showing love on your face is such a great thing <laughs> to think about, isn't it? Because I feel like I've totally come in with angry face. I was thinking about... Um, angry face and yeah. then I love you. <laughs> I only love you with my angry face right now. <laughs> with your teeth barred. <laughs> you know I love you. <laughs> I had an incident um, where it was like a week or so ago. I don't even remember what happened. I probably had Axel up too late. It's the end of baseball season. He was probably exhausted. And he's he's nine. And he just, like, threw this major tantrum at, like, bedtime. And with Axel, our little routine is I put Stella to bed first because she's littler. And then Axel and I read together. And we've been going through the whole Harry Potter series, which has been so much fun. I now love Harry Potter. So every night we read for, like, a half an hour, sometimes even 45 minutes together. And it's, like, our sweet little, like, time we have. Well, I've also – we're going to get into, like – natural um results or natural repercussions but when he was having this tantrum i i was so proud of myself i like stayed calm and i just was talking i didn't like argue or you know try and give him logic i just told him you know what buddy you can make a choice you can either calm down now and we can read together or if you're making a choice to not calm down then you're just showing me you're too tired you need to go right to bed and so he just was like yelling all these mean things at me and like being mean. And so I was like, all right, my love, it's time for you to go to bed. And so he got in bed. Um, he did. And then I came back a few minutes later and I just kind of poked my head in his room and I was like, buddy, I just want you to know how much I love you. And I know you've just had a really hard day. And he'd been yelling things at me like, well, I don't even want to read with you. I don't want to struggle with you. I don't want you in my bed. Like just, you know, yelling all this stuff. And I just had that, you know, thinking, thinking, okay, love on my face. Go in slow, show, you know, no anger in my body. And I just, you know, told him how much I loved him and how much I cared about him and that it, everything was going to be okay. And that we try again in the morning and there was this little pause and then I hear from his bed, okay, you can come snuggle with me now. And it was the sweetest thing, but I actually still didn't. I actually still told him, you know what, buddy, your actions showed me that you just really do need to go to bed and it's okay. And we'll try again tomorrow. But it was so interesting how his whole demeanor just like changed when I just like affirmed him with love instead of getting mad and say, you can't talk to me that way. Or, you know, like, as I've probably done in the past. So, um, all right. So have either of you two had any really good results from just simply expressing love during discipline? I have to say that I'm still remember. I was telling you that I'm at the calm. I have to calm myself down phrase phase. You're at step one. Yeah. I'm still working on that. <laughs> totally. That's the biggest thing. I am too every day. Because it keeps coming up. It's so second nature to me. Um, be, uh, but 
what I the the love on my face. It, those of you who are really musically inclined may kind of resonate with this, but I sometimes just operatically sing "I love you" in the middle of because that gets me to calm down. I can't say it, but I just like sing it in the air, not to them, but I just do it as a reminder for myself. And then I don't know how, but it does calm my facial muscles. How can you not suddenly not calm down when you're singing, I love you for no reason, you know, but that has helped me because I can't do what you just did. I don't know how to do that where I soften. I I feel very fake. So I have to initially do that. So that's been helping. Um, How about you, Karen? I mean, I I have definitely had some some success at being calmer, but when I'm not and when I do mess up, one thing that I've been really working on is, you know, I really know how to hold a grudge. And there are a lot of times where I tell myself, well, I'm not at fault here. She, you know about my nine-year-old, she should apologize to me first. But lately I've really been kind of changing my attitude about that. And even, even if it, maybe it's true, I'm not at fault. And what she did was way worse, whatever. I get past that. And Mm -hmm. I realize my approach was wrong. And I go to her first, even when she hasn't apologized, she hasn't repented for her misbehavior, I go to her first and I tell her, I'm sorry, that wasn't the right way for me to, to deal with this. I just want you to know I love you. And immediately her heart softens and then she hugs me back and she says, I'm sorry too. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't have done that. And so, and sometimes to me showing my kids that they're, that they're loved also lets them know, I'm also letting them know that's not okay. You know, if you want us to have a good relationship, that really hurts my feelings when you talk to me like that. Right. So letting them know mm-hmm. how it feels to me without getting angry back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, part of being in a relationship is to be honest about your feelings and it's not okay for them to treat me like that. And so I, I let them know and also let them know I love you. And that's not how you treat people that you love. True. Totally. So we've talked about principle number one was you are safe with me too. You are loved no matter what. So Karen, why don't you give us a third principle and what does it mean? So the third principle is that you are speaking about our kids. You are called and capable. So this is where you really get into, I feel like the previous two principles are more about your approach to discipline. And this is really getting into the issue of correcting the misbehavior. So in this third principle, the goal of discipline is not just to make a bad behavior stop, but to get underneath the surface of the behavior to the causes or beliefs that fuel the misbehavior. And the tricky thing here is that no one size fits all quick fixes really work. You're going to have to approach each episode of misbehavior with thoughtful discipline. Awesome. Um, in this section, they also talk about um, gifts gone awry, which I totally love. Um, we are all created in God's image, but our sin nature, I'll quote here from their book, affects every aspect of our lives and injects selfishness into our motives and choices. Many of our kids' talents come out twisted 
they say, by sin and selfishness, which is the gift gone awry. I know this section like totally cracked a lot of us up as we were reading it in class because it's really funny to think about the positive of like their negative gifts. Um, I think, Jenny, did you have a couple examples you could share with us of gifts gone awry? Yeah. I always find it, I mean, obviously for us, we're like, oh, this, you're talking back to us, but what Jim and Lynn make us see that it's that these kids are honest with their feelings and opinions and they're confident. So then it has a little flip. uh, It flips the switch for us to kind of look at it in this perspective. Or the funny one is the, the lying. This one's lying. Nope. They are creative or has a good memory or wants to keep the peace. And so they lie to do it. I love that. You're so creative right now. Right. Or um, thank you for being uh, uh, a planner when you're stealing. (laughs) That one I kind of was like, what? Stealing? Um, The gift's gone awry. So they they equate that this person could be a planner, could be courageous, able to take risks. So um, it's just interesting to see all these different, like complaining and whining. Um, The whining is persistence, um, insight into others. So I found that to look at it in this lens kind of doesn't put the emphasis on the negative, but says, oh, let me see how I can use these gifts in the future. You're so good at being persistent. I see that. And so how about you use this persistence elsewhere here, you know, and when you, whenever you see those opportunities um, to turn that gift into a positive. Um, totally. That I, was interesting. I pulled up the list too. Like yelling is expressiveness, a desire to be understood, that arguing and backtalk, our honesty and strong feelings, opinions and confidence. I was loving this, that um, complaining, because, oh, I have a complainer in my daughter, awareness of problems, potential for good problem solving, right. which I was dying because uh, that's like me all the time. Uh, hopefully I don't complain though. Um, yeah, I thought this list was great. I was remembering in the book that even talked about one of them was like having a loud voice can be a gift. And I was totally cracking up because since I do speaking now, like through Bible study and stuff like that, I have, I use my loud voice a lot. I totally have a loud voice. That is one thing the Lord gave me is a loud voice. But I was like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. A loud voice can carry throughout a whole room, right? Mm. So it was a funny thing thinking about like, huh, I wonder if that was totally annoying at times growing up to my parents that I have a loud voice. (laughs) I'm sure my husband can relate. Yes, my (laughs) husband can too. My husband (laughs) thinks I have a loud voice. Um, But I really love this sort of flip of perspective. And the Jacksons encourage us to have affirming responses with our kids, to affirm the good and connect with our kids' hearts. So affirm the good within the gifts that they have. Um, Karen, can you give us an example of how this might work, either from the book or from your own home, of sort of flipping a gift gone awry to be a positive thing? So I can't exactly say that I've mastered this one. <laughs> <laughs> We're um, all learning. I To me, this kind of goes back to the, the second principle of letting them know they're loved no matter what, which mm-hmm. is instead of um, approaching them kind of attacking their misbehavior, if you can approach them by affirming something about them. Um, For example, this morning, we're getting ready for school. My oldest daughter is reading a book that she really likes, and she will not put it down. We're already running late. She's sitting there with her nose buried in a book. I've already asked her several times, 
very nicely to please put the book away until she's ready for school. Um, and so, you know, finally I went over close to her instead of just escalating the volume a little bit, ripping it out of her hands, which is my, my typical response. Um, I went over to her. I said, I'm so glad that you like to read and that you found this book that you're so interested in. We really need to get ready for school right now. And so, you know, by approaching her in that way, getting close to her, talking to her, instead of saying, stop it, we have to leave right now. Mm. You know, you're, you're being bad. You're being wrong. Instead of conveying that message, I approached her with an attitude of sympathy and appreciation for something about, you know, even within this situation, I appreciate something about you here. She's a great, she's a great reader, you know, like we can find sort of the pauses, right? Right. I love that you love to read books. I mean, Hey, not all nine-year-olds are just sitting happily reading a book, you know, like, so yeah. I mean, I, even the whining, cause my son loves to whine to get attention. And I used to just be like, okay, stop whining. If you stop whining, I can talk to you. Let's talk in a normal voice. And, and, you know, I, I try to use the word persistent and then he does not know what persistent (laughs) means. But I realize if I say it enough, he'll understand that yeah. that word is a mask for. So the whining has been replaced with, okay, I see that you're you're being very persistent right now, but I'd like for you to speak to me respectfully. And then they know what respectful means because yeah. I've said it so many times. So respectfully. So that I'm trying to do, implement, but um, really it's so hard. Just having that list on the refrigerator just to look and laugh at. Is, is is a step in the right direction, I think. And you because, can, you can right? find it online at theirconnectedfamilies.org website. You can get the whole list. It seriously is because you there's no way, as Karen said, like we're not experts at this. We're just trying these things. Totally. I really like how they said the goal here is to build wisdom in our kids to make good choices. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create them to have opportunities to make wise and good choices. So... And they gave three C's, which I really liked. It was um, calm, connect, offer choices. So, um, which kind of leads us then into our fourth principle. Jenny, can you share the fourth principle with us? Yes. The fourth principle is that you are responsible for your actions. And the goal of biblical discipline is restoring their hearts, restoring you know, re- wounded relationships. So the responsibility in actions is just learning how to not behave a certain way or what that causes in the relationship or what that, um, the, the consequences of such actions. I think it's just getting them to understand that and just become, you know, little mini aware adults, <laughs> but more, you know, more than that, also having empathy, um, for the other, because understanding your actions and how that affects others, I think that really fosters empathy. And our goal here is to help our kids recognize, um, to embrace God's mercy and kindness, after, you know, once they recognize what they've done wrong. And it leads them to reconciliation. Um, and so I really appreciate, I mean, this is the growth aspect for them, what we're teaching them. Um, Right. So not just like a blind, like here, you did this wrong. So you get X punishment. Totally. But like that connection. Recognize what you've done wrong. Embrace mercy, a heart that's then led to repentance. Mm -hmm. So Karen, can you share some of their suggestions on, on how to do this? So this is where it gets a little tricky because like we, like they mentioned before, there are no quick fixes. We There's all no, want quick fixes, don't yeah, we? We, just want to, <laughs> we want a rule. We want to know exactly what to do and say, but 
the thing here is that you need to address each issue of mis- misbehavior individually and with the spirit of trying to impact their hearts. And so one of the ways you can do it, the Jackson say, is to help them to understand natural imp- impacts. So if they don't put their shoes away, then when they want to wear those shoes to school the next day, the shoes are nowhere to be found. Instead of picking their shoes up out of, you know, underneath the car seat and putting them away in the closet so they'll be there, if you're forgetful or bu- a busy mom like I am, you just don't get around to it and then their shoes won't be there the next day and then they learn something about the natural impacts of not putting their stuff away when they when they want it. Or mm. I always tell my kids, if you don't put your toys away, if you don't put things that are important to you away, I might think it's trash and I might throw it away when I'm cleaning up. And so mm-hmm. you need to put your own your own stuff away. I'll interject really fast just with one. Um, on Tuesday, Eric picked up Stella from Axel's baseball game and brought her to jujitsu and she changed in the car and she left her shoes in his car. Well, he leaves for work before we're out the door in the morning. Mm-hmm. So Wednesday morning, um, she was like, where are my shoes? And I was like... I don't know, where are your shoes? And then we ended up sort of figuring out they're probably in dad's car. And so she was not happy about that. They're the one shoe she wants to wear to school. She does not like any of her other shoes, but she ended up finally figuring out another pair to wear. So we had the exact same Groundhog Day again yesterday because we're in playoffs and there's a lot of baseball games right now. Same exact thing. Eric picked her up from baseball, brought her to jujitsu. She changed in the car. They came back and I heard her this morning say, mommy, I need to get my shoes out of daddy's car. And I was like, yay, like she did it, right? Like uh, none of us rescued her, but she figured it out and she did it. But I think that's the the golden part of this whole thing is like, how do we implement where they, we don't helicopter anymore. When you do everything for them, they don't understand the consequences. Um, So for example, I mean, the same thing real quick about like homework. She, she, Aria went to school and told her teacher, oh, my mom didn't put my reading book back in the bag. And her teacher. Oh no, she didn't. Yeah. And her <laughs> teacher says, "Well, Arya, that's not your mom's responsibility. That's your responsibility, isn't good it?" Good job, and teacher. I was like, good job, teacher. <laughs> I never have put that reading book back in her bag ever again. Oh, totally. Arya now does it. She realizes it's her, her responsibility, and that's all I needed. Yeah. Is that? Oh, yeah. That isn't my job all the time. Totally. To put all her stuff back in her backpack so she takes it to school. She does that all on her own now. Thank the Lord. <laughs> so Karen, give us another one. So one is just understanding natural impacts. That's on um, helping our kids to be responsible for their actions. So what's another one? Another way that we can help kids understand they're responsible for their actions is by um, imposing a consequence where they need to make right what they've done wrong. So for example, hands used to hurt can become hands that help someone. Um, we can also identify and reposition their gifts gone awry. So like we talked about hmm. previously, if they're misbehaving, you can say, well, you know, maybe they're throwing a temper tantrum and you can say, I appreciate that you're so sensitive and, you know, that you care so deeply about things and um, and that they could use their gifts in order to build a a person back up that they have hurt with their perhaps expressiveness. Mm. Um, Another, another way to lead them to responsibility is to give them a do over where you, a situation is playing out, maybe a sibling rivalry situation. Maybe one of them has a legitimate complaint against the other, 
and you can see it just spiraling. And then instead of reprimanding them, take control of the situation and say, and help them practice it again, use different words, use a different tone of voice. Let's see if we can handle this in a more productive way. So that's another kind of, um, um, responsibility. And then the last one is when it is related to a specific misbehavior, you can impose some kind of a loss of privilege, or if there isn't really a natural consequence, you can, as long as you've let them know in advance that this is going to be the consequence, um, you can make sure they, they realize that that's going to happen and then actually impose it when it, when it's necessary. That's what I've been really thinking about a lot personally, because I realize I have totally done the no screen time as my, always my go-to like consequence, Mm -hmm. but it's just really hit me how their encouragement is for us to come up with consequences that are directly related to whatever action is going on. So I had like, oh my gosh, when Stella gets angry and in the car, which I think it always happens because kindergarten is just like all she can handle and she gets in the car and like it all lets loose. She will constantly, if she's mad in the car, will start like kicking my seat. Well, she sits right behind me. It is not enjoyable to have your seat kicked by your tantruming child. So I told her the other day, like Stella, I said, and this is phrasing I'm, I'm learning to use from them is you can make a choice. You can make a choice to do this or you can make a choice to do this. I said, Stella, you can make a choice to calm your body down. If you're going to make a choice to keep kicking me in the car, I'm going to pop up the third row of my, of my SUV and you can sit in the third row for a week because then you can't kick me. Like yeah. I might not be able to control your tantruming, but I can control if you actually are kicking me or not. So it's been really good for me to begin to think about what are the actual related things mm-hmm. like my kids love potty talks i was ha- the other day we were talking about it i was like you guys potty talk hurts my ears so what can we do how can we what result can we have for potty talk and we all came up with it they have to say nice things to mommy because potty talk hurts my ears and so we're gonna have to say pleasant things that do not hurt mommy's ears so i'm just i, I love how they say though there's not a one answer mm. it's what works in your home that's going to be a natural consequence or is going to be a direct loss of privilege, you know, that is related to whatever's going on. I'd have to switch my car. <laughs> for that. <laughs> so this has been good for me, realizing that my goal is not to control my children's misbehavior. My goal is to control my behavior, to remind my kids that they are loved and, um, and then help them understand what natural impacts or natural consequences are coming by from their misbehavior. How can I help my kids learn to take responsibility for their choices and their own lives? And I really appreciate how the Jacksons mentioned also sort of the heart of what are the reasons that kids actually do misbehave? Jenny, can you share those with us? Why do kids misbehave? I mean, we're all human and we sin. These We've learned the consequences of it as an adult. Well, many of us have not all (laughs) but uh but i but we're sinners by nature so they're going to make mistakes we have to learn how to extend grace um also perhaps they've taken on a label a negative identity for example you know they see themselves as the whiner because you're constantly saying you whine all the time stop whining um maybe they see themselves as the bad kid or I was bad or I, um, oh, I whined or I, I, I threw the tantrum. And so I'm the tantrum kid, you know, perhaps they're, they're taking on that negative identity. And then, um, sometimes their physical factors, like their brain is extra tired or their body cannot handle any 
waking uh, anything. Like they're so fatigued, low blood sugar, whatever it is, overstimulation, definitely overstimulation these days, right? Um, but I think a lot of those physical factors really play into how they're behaving. So we have to sort of that's the step back and take a breath to kind of assess the situation, I think, to realize, wait, my kid is being a little cranky right now. Oh, it's 8 o'clock. It's probably near her bedtime. You know, that's that's been a big thing for me, too. Totally. Um, Sometimes when Stella is starting to throw a tantrum, I just start feeding her. Because <laughs> she has, like... I don't know. That child has like crazy blood sugar swings, I think. And so sometimes I just, I'm learning, I don't react. I show love and I give her food and then we'll figure it out when she's calm. Right. (laughs) Um, I also appreciate how the Jacksons ended with grace towards ourselves. We are totally going to mess up and come in hot with our kids and we're going to regret it. So what can we do when it all falls apart? Karen, can you speak to that for a minute? So this is probably the one that I have the most experience with. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, girlfriend. <laughs> Me too. And I love, first of all, that they say grace towards ourselves. So not just what can we do to fix it after we've messed up, but don't beat yourself up over it. Mm-hmm. Don't spend the next days, the next week thinking I'm such a terrible parent. Just let that go. First of all, obviously you need to go to your kids, confess and apologize you're setting a great example for them. You're letting them know right. this is what people do. People mess up. This is what you do after you've messed up. So in taking responsibility for your own um, tantrum, you're <laughs> teaching them about how right. they can deal with it when they're in when they lose it in a in an important relationship. Mm. Then you need to reconnect with them, prioritize love, and hopefully you can what they say is engage and enlist. So you start with an honest confession and then you also put it in the child's court and say, what do you wish you'd done in this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, once you've kind of told them, I wish that I had handled it this way and this would have been better for me. You, you let, you give them that opportunity too. So it, it goes both ways. Um, for those of you that are listening, the appendix of this book has some practical real life examples that are awesome. So I really encourage you to get it and read them or listen on Audible, which is what I've been doing in my car. I keep replaying certain sections. So I can keep listening to them over and over. Um, when our friend Allie Murphy led a discussion during our final week of this book, she created this really cool four quadrant sheet to help us think about how to apply these principles to our specific situations with our kids. So she first at the top thought about you know, what is the issue that's going on here? I'm thinking long-term. What is the long-term vision we want for our kids regarding this issue? Who do we want them to be? And then on a piece of paper, she made four quadrants that we could take the four principles and make notes. So one, you are safe with me. What's going on with me that affects how I engage with my child? Two, you're loved. How can I can connect or empathize with my child right now? Three, you're called incapable. How might I acknowledge and direct their gifts gone awry? Four, you're responsible. What consequence best teaches my child responsibility for her actions? And Allie gave us this great example where one of her daughters had really had trouble with something, and she'd waited till the next day, and she'd made notes in all four of those categories, and she'd sat her daughter down, and they had, like, the most wonderful discussion, mm-hmm. and it was just a really beautiful conclusion. So um, I feel like this is where I am at right now, is just trying to begin to think through 
How do I implement these in my family? How do I be calm? How do I be safe? How do I express love? How do I express to my kids that they are called and capable? They have amazing gifts and abilities that the Lord has given to them. And then how do I teach them responsibility, consequences for their actions? So um, any final words from either of you two ladies before we close? This has been an awesome discussion. Yeah. um, I just wanted to offer up to whoever's listening that this is not, it's, it, it might be very, you know, there are steps. It's not a quick fix. It is so a work in progress. We have to be great, give, give ourselves grace, give our children grace. That whole do over principle is so nice. Just to, that's the, the grace and the empathy, you know, all wrapped into one just to say, Hey, I made a mistake when I approached you and I react, you reacted at you this way. And then wouldn't that set that example or that precedent in the family that when the kids see you do that so often, that they do that with each other naturally, that they walk out of the room and they say, you know what? I was not nice to you. And then do a do-over moment. Even if you guys, we label it do-overs. Oh gosh, what was it that we were talking about the other time? Oh, off the record. Never mind. But there are like little... um, That was a great phrase that someone brought up. Someone brought up in our meeting about how we um, confess without judgment. So we say this, you can, you know, uh, preface the sentence with uh, off the record and then confess. But this thing, the do over could be one of those key like statements where you just say, okay, let me do that over. It's a do over. And that may be a good reminder for us to naturally start to build that grace within the house. Karen, any last thoughts? I just think. The foundation to all of this is, I think, being calmer, being letting your kids know that they're safe with you, and that is so much easier said than done. And I think depending on your temperament, for some people, they are just able to slow down and control mm. themselves, and I know that was not the case for me, and this is a, still a work in progress, and it took months and months of daily prayer and you know, just kind of ask, asking for help you know, from God, because I could, I realized I couldn't do it on my own. And, um, I just think who, who, whatever parents are struggling with that kind of like strong emotional response, I just think if you can realize that you have some control and you have, you can take some responsibility for the chaos and the frustration in your home, I think that that can be really empowering. Mm. And I think that's such a, such a powerful step to start with and to work on and not expect yourself to be able to do it overnight. Absolutely. I feel like those two things have been the big shift for me in Mm -hmm. my home Mm -hmm. is being safe myself and expressing love all the time. And I feel like that is really beginning to shift things in my home. It's not happening overnight and it's not perfect, but I feel like, I feel like we're shifting and I feel like it's really started with those two. Well, thank you, my sweet mama friends. This has been so much fun. I appreciate you both so much. I am so thankful to be on this journey with both of you and figuring out parenting together. So thank you. Thanks for listening, ladies. Join us each Friday as we post a new Hashtag Mom Life podcast. I want you to be encouraged in your journey with Jesus. Know that you are loved, that your kids were given to you by our incredible creator, and you're the best mama for your little people. I encourage you ladies to put your trust in Jesus and therefore be able to be present with your family, trusting that God is good and has good plans in store for you and your kids. And as you are present, I pray that you would then be able to find someone around you today 
to love, encourage, and bless. If you find these podcast conversations encouraging and helpful, please subscribe, share them with a friend, and give us a positive review on iTunes. You can find out more about today's episode, show notes from our discussion, and listen to past conversations at momlife.ljpress.org. Hashtag MomLife is a ministry of La Jolla Presbyterian Church. Today's episode was produced by myself and Jim Sedgwick, and I'm your host, Cynthia Blaze. I pray that you can see the wonderful presence of God in your life today.